Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. So why Christmas? We need to look at the Old Testament book of the prophet Isaiah. This will get a little bit probing today. Isaiah chapter 6. Some of this stuff I don't like to think about as it relates to me either. You have to know that. In Isaiah chapter 6, the young Isaiah goes into the temple, this opulent temple that Solomon built. So he's in this temple. He's meditating. Uzziah at this time, U-Z-Z-I-A-H was the king. And um, Uzziah was a great king in the history of Israel, reigned 52 years longer than any other king, did a lot of great things. And then he died. Bingo, like that. He got leprosy and died. Uzziah is now dead. And here's this young guy, Isaiah, about 25 years old, and he was an up-and-comer in the political kingdom of King Uzziah. And now Uzziah is dead, and so he goes in the temple to meditate and ask, Lord, where do we go from here? Reads like this, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah went into the temple, and he wrote, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. Each one had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Now, you've got to get into this. You've got to pretend you're, in a, you're Isaiah. You've gone into the temple at the death of your king. And you say, Lord, where do we go from here? You're sitting there meditating. Your hands are, you, you, you're, you're kind of down like this. And maybe your, your hand is in your, 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 I'm sorry, your face is in your hands. You've got your head bowed. And then you look up, you open your eyes, and you look straight ahead. And what you see doesn't register at first. And then it does. You see this magnificent I don't know what to call it. It's not a vision. It was real. The magnificence of the Lord himself, the one we know as the Son of God, seated on a throne. Can you see that? You're sitting there, and here's the Son of God seated on a throne, and from his person emanates all this light. And the word of God said, excuse me, that the robe, trail of his robe, appeared to fill the whole temple. And then you look up and see what Isaiah describes as seraph or worshiping angels. He saw six-winged six angels. I mean, this temple was magnificent. It was so ornate. It was huge. And it had a dome ceiling. And you look up and you see these seraph angels. Isaiah had never seen angels before. And they're hovering around the dome of this great temple. And they're calling back and forth to one another. And you can hear it. I mean, you, you're overwhelmed at this. You see the Lord exalted in all his glory. You see the angels. And they're fluttering around the dome. What do angels look like? I have no idea. And they're saying in Hebrew, kadosh, 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 in English, holy, holy, holy. Back and forth, back and forth. I mean, your eyes are transfixed. Holy, 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 holy. And then the building fills with smoke, the smoke of fragrant incense. And incense is used in beautiful worship. And then the building begins to shake at its foundations. Let me read this. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost, the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, how blessed am I to see the Lord. How many people get to see the Lord? Oh, Lord, thank you for this great picture of yourself. It's not what he said, folks. 
didn't say that. He was in terror. He saw the holiness of God himself. And I see Isaiah burying his hands in his face. And what he said is this. He said, woe is me, woe is me. I am ruined. Here's what he said. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. And then he thought about the sins of his lips. Listen to this. For I am a man of unclean lips. Then he thought about the nation. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the glory of the King Almighty. All of a sudden, as he saw the holy God, what happened inside Isaiah? He saw the holiness of God, and his sins became so acute. He became so aware at that moment of how black he was, you might say, in the presence of the white, holy God. He said, woe is me. I'm ruined. Know what he thought about? He thought about, he thought about his phony worship. That's what he thought. He thought about doing religion, being religious, saying all the right religious stuff, all this nice pious talk coming out of his mouth. And then he saw the Lord and it struck him, not only me, but all these people in this land, this whole nation of the Jews is a nation of phony religion, hypocritical talk, unclean lips, because we go across the river, and the Jews did this. We go across the Jordan River, see? And we worship all those Moabite and pagan idols. And then we come back across the river and we go into our temple and we worship the true God and say all that pious stuff. And we think that's all okay, that we can worship in the world and we can worship in the temple. And when Isaiah thought about that, his pious, phony talk, it cut to his heart and slammed him to the ground. But he, he, he thought about that when he saw the holiness of God. He was saying, God has every right to judge me, to banish me from his presence. But now you see the loving character of God because remember those seraph angels just hovering around the dome up there, the dome of the ceiling? One of them takes tongs and comes down. There was an altar of sacrifice and hot burning coals on, the, on that altar. And he takes a hot burning coal and he's about to purge Isaiah. And Isaiah steps up front and center. Can you see this in your mind's eye? And he closes his eyes and he raises his head. And like a doctor says, say ah he sticks out his tongue and the angel puts that hot coal on the tip of his tongue thus purging and purifying Isaiah it says see this has taken away this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for that's the loving character of our God and then Isaiah hears this voice in the temple who will go and tell and, and, and tell other people what true worship is who will go and proclaim me he's looking all around where is this voice coming from and he's crying out here I am I'm here Send me, send me. That was Isaiah's commission. He saw the holiness of God. Let's shift our thinking to the New Testament. Let's talk about Simon Peter. Can you picture Simon Peter by the dock? He fished all night. He had a family. He caught nothing. He had bills to pay a family to support, and he was kind of down. And he's thinking as he's washing his nets, man, I didn't, I didn't catch any fish last night. I can't sell any fish in the marketplace today. How am I ever going to pay the bills? And along comes Jesus, meets him on the dock of the bay, and he says, go into the deep water and let down your nets. Well, that's great because you don't catch fish in deep water. You catch fish in shallow water. You don't catch fish at high noon. Where do you catch fish? You catch them in the middle of the night. Now, Simon Peter respected Jesus as a great teacher. To Peter, all Jesus was at this moment was a great teacher. And out of respect for Jesus, he says, okay, I'll do what you say. It's kind of dumb. He didn't say that, but he said, I'll do what you say. Simon answered him, Luke chapter 5, verse 5. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll go let down the nets. I believe he was placating Jesus. I believe he was saying to Jesus, you stick to preaching and teaching and leave the fish to me. 
So they go out in the boat, Peter, couple of guys, and Jesus. And I wish I had been there. And Peter says, okay, master, we're in the deep water, and now I'm going to let the nets down. And he does. And immediately, I mean right away, the ship, I mean the side with the the side with the net goes down. It almost capsizes. And I can see Jesus pulling the nets and saying, come on, Peter, get some muscle. (laughs) Let's get these fish in the boat. Come on, guy, let's do it. See, that was Simon Peter's moment of faith out in the deep in a sinking boat loaded with fish caught at the wrong time in the wrong place. His brother Andrew had told him earlier, this Jesus from Nazareth is the Messiah. And Peter said, ha ha, Messiahs don't come out of Nazareth. But now he believed. Now he knew. And the Bible says, I'm going to read his reaction. Verse 8, Luke chapter 5. When Simon Peter saw this great haul of fish, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Just like Isaiah. He knew that the guy in his boat was not just a man, but holy, holy God. You You know what he can't do? He can't look him in the eye. What made him fall to his knees? Worship. What made him bow his head, turn his face away, and say, Lord, leave me. I'm a sinful man. Isaiah said the same thing. He said, woe is me, I'm ruined. I'm a dead man. Think about Daniel. You guys know the story of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel saw the Son of God in all his holiness. Daniel 10, 17. Here's what Daniel said. I saw him and I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. That's what Daniel said when he saw the Lord. How about John, the great apostle? Revelation chapter 1. John sees the risen Christ, the holy Christ. Revelation 1 says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now remember what we're talking about, the why of Christmas. Christmas remembers and celebrates Jesus coming into the world. Why did he come? What's the why of Christmas? Isaiah, Peter, Daniel, and John stood before Jesus Christ in what we might call his naked holiness. And what did they know? They knew they deserved to die. Just read Revelation 20, not now, but Jesus raises the unbelieving dead. Okay, all unbelievers rise. They stand before the holy God. And what's going on in their minds? Everything he's going to pronounce. It's all right. It's all just. The holiness of God does that to you. They knew they deserved just punishment. So now you ask, why Christmas? Jesus came because of our sin, to get us out of our sin mess. Our sin deserves death and separation from God forever. People give so many other reasons for Christmas like loving our neighbor and all that stuff, and those are sub-reasons, but the reason for Christmas is we needed someone to save us. We cannot stand before a holy God. Isaiah, Daniel, Peter, John, stalwarts of the faith could not stand before a holy God, and neither can we. We needed someone to save us. We needed someone to represent us. We needed someone to be our substitute. We needed someone to live perfectly and innocently in our place, and then that perfect, innocent somebody had to die a death in our place all of our sins in his person. I hope that never gets old. But that's why Christmas, and that's why the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. That's what it's all about. He came to save sinners. This is God's word. It's all in 1 Timothy 1.15. Man, you've got to memorize this. This is your memory for today. And I pray you memorize this. I pray you take it home and think about this. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves all acceptance. 
Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul wrote that, but I say that. Why did Jesus Christ come into the world? 1 Timothy 1.15. It's all right there. Christmas in one passage. That's what it's all about, folks. This is a trustworthy saying, will it for worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And that's why Jesus came. Folks, this is not a popular message in our culture. You know that to say that we're sinners and that sin separates us from God and that sin has consequences, and that sin brings down the wrath of God, and that the consequences could be eternal, is not a popular message. The why of Christmas is so counterculture. Everything today is self-esteem. It's more important for kids in school to feel good about themselves than it is to learn. That's self-esteem. You look at all this politically correct stuff, you know. You don't criticize anybody's lifestyle. You accept their belief system and their lifestyle. Don't make anybody feel badly about themselves. It all hinges on this self-esteem thing. You know, churches are bought into this left and right. Tell people what they want to hear. Make them feel good about themselves. Don't talk about sin. Now, wait a minute. I agree with that to a point, that you have to leave here encouraged. And believe me, you will leave here encouraged. So let's talk about this whole deal about self-esteem, how the Bible sees us and how we need to see ourselves. And when you see yourself as God's word portrays us, as God's word presents us, I'll tell you what, we're, re- we're, we're, we're going to be really able to celebrate Christmas. And we're going to deal with reality and we're going to be able to release to God. One of the biggest lies of the devil today is, and lots of us believe this, that man at the core is basically good. I think a lot of you believe this, that man at his core is basically good. We don't deal with the fallen nature of man. We don't deal with something called original sin. But that's not the way Scripture presents us. It presents us as sinners standing in the need of grace. Listen, sin isn't failure. People like to gloss over their sin and say, I failed. People like to gloss over their sin and say it's a weakness. Sin is not failure. It's not a weakness. I'm going to tell you what sin is in Scripture. Sin is open rebellion against God. It's open and defiant rebellion against a holy God. It's you with your little white lies and all the rest of your sins, big and little. It's you with your fist in God's face saying, I'm going to do what I want to do, God. It's you rebelling against God. That's the naked truth. That's what sin is. It's outright, defiant, bold, brazen rebellion against God. It is not weakness. It is not simply failure. It's you versus him, me versus him. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. You and me were hopelessly lost. We were separated from God by our sins. We were strangled by our own sins. We were on a road to hell until Jesus Christ came into the world to save us and make us holy and righteous. The Bible says when you place your faith in him, you get a robe of righteousness and God sees you as holy. He has made you acceptable before God the Father. He has made you worthy to enter heaven once you place your faith in him. And when we understand this, that we aren't by nature good, then we can really celebrate Christmas and we can really give gifts and we can really enjoy the season because you know what we're doing? We're rejoicing and at the same time we're breathing a sigh of relief. And you know what we're saying? When you think about the real meaning of Christmas, we're saying, if you hadn't come, where would I be? What would be the consequences? When you understand that by nature we're not good, we have a fallen sinful nature, and that we deserve every judgment that God would justly give us, when we understand that, listen, we get so blessed. Here's the good news. Let's think about self-esteem. People are so hung up on that today. Is there ever a time not to feel good about yourself? Not in this popular culture. You've got to feel good about yourself all the time. Come on. 
You know, to feel good about ourselves. You know what? You'll do or say something that you know you shouldn't do or say, and we all feel this need to confess. And we'll, people will come around us and we'll say, you know what I did, and we'll confess. You know what they're going to say? Oh, you couldn't help it. Oh, don't be so tough on yourself. Oh, you tried your best. You know what they're saying? They're saying you're a victim. You're not responsible. And you are. And, you know, and we suck that right up. Man, do we suck. Oh, you couldn't help it. Oh, don't be so tough on yourself. Man, do we eat that up. Why don't you say, oh, will you quit placating me and tell me the truth about myself? I dare you to do that. Folks, we got to get off this self-esteem kick. It's not the most important thing in the world that we always feel good about ourselves all the time. If you did feel good about yourself all the time, would you ever confess your sins before God? Listen, I need to apply the cleansing blood of Jesus to my life, and I need to know for certain that none of these sins will ever condemn me because the price has already been paid. And that is, that is the root of my self-esteem. Sinner that I am, Jesus Christ came into the world to save me. It's a, you know, Christmas is a time of self-esteem. All you got to do is go back to the Christmas message, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a st- statement worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And when you can say that and realize that Jesus Christ came into the world personally for you, you have self-esteem. And you have self-esteem like the world doesn't have. Listen, others will devalue you. They will ignore you. Unfortunately, they will commit adultery against you and that devalues you. But whatever, you can still like yourself because God's accepted you in Christ and your sins are covered by his blood. And when you're devalued and you don't feel so hot about yourself, you know what you need to do? You need to go to Romans 8, Romans 8, and read Romans 8, man, and talk to yourself and give yourself to give yourself, talk to yourself about these four principles of Romans chapter 8 and apply them to yourself. Number one, I've been made a son or a daughter of God. Just think about that. I am a son or a daughter of God. Number two, think about this. I get to go before his throne every day and call him Abba Father or Dear Father. I get to go before his throne every day and talk to my God who created this world like, um, like I could talk to a mom or a dad. Here's, here's the third thing. I, I inherit everything Jesus does. God loves me. The Father in heaven loves me as much as he loves his son because I inherit everything Jesus says. And nothing, nothing can ever, ever separate me from his love. That's self-esteem. And I say this to kids because kids are so pressured to conform. You know, I say this to kids. I say, especially when they don't look perfect, especially when they don't know all the video games out there because they refuse to play all that stuff, especially when they don't know all the music out there because they refuse to listen to it. And maybe they're alienated for ostracized for a time. I say, you know, God accepts you for who you are. You think about the value that God, that God put on you, people. God put on you. And you can face that rejection. I'm serious. When you think about the fact, see, people will devalue you. They will reject you. They will alienate you. But I'll tell you what, when you think about the fact that God, the value that God put on you, and you see that value in a baby in a manger, that's the why of Christmas, then you can face that rejection and honestly love these people who devalue and reject you. And they don't expect that. And that sends a tremendous message. But to get to that point, we have to see ourselves as Peter and John 
in Isaiah and Daniel saw themselves in the face of a holy God. When you see yourself as you really are, I know this is not fun, but man, look what Jesus did for you. When you see yourself as you really are, dead in sin, lost and hopeless apart from Jesus Christ, and that's being realistic. When you deal with that reality, then you can, con- see, then you can do something about it. You deal with the reality of who you are according to God's word. Who you are according to God's word is lost and hopeless and helpless apart from Christ. And you deal with that reality, and what do you do? Then you give your sins to God, and you say, God, you have to save me through your son, Jesus Christ. You have now dealt with the reality of that sin issue, and you've dealt with it the right way. Now, when you deal with that basic reality, then you can deal with other realities in life. When you deal with the fact that you're not good, you're a sinner standing in the need of grace, and you go to God for grace, and you didn't sweep that under the carpet, then you won't sweep anything else under the carpet either, because problems are there. They don't go away. You have to face problems, you have to talk about them, you got to deal with them, and you got to quit kidding yourself. I mean, how many people tell me, you know, I mean, they've got someone that they love that shows no interest in God, no interest in God, no interest in the things of God whatsoever. And then these same people say, oh, but I know he believes. Does that make any sense? And when you begin to deal with the reality that they don't believe... And if they die tonight, they wouldn't go to heaven. They wouldn't be with God. When you begin to deal with that reality and don't sweep it under the table and pretend it's going to go away, then you can start praying for those people in earnest and looking for open doors to tell them who the Savior is and share your testimony with these people. So what issue do you need to quit deluding yourself about today? Quit telling yourself you're going to have this job forever. Pray for wisdom. Pray for divine solutions, but face the issues. But to face those issues, you've got to face the basic issue of your sin and give it to Christ. Here's the last application, but I'll tell you what, this makes all the difference in the Christian life. It's about releasing to God. Please understand this. In the matter of your salvation, there is nothing you can do to earn it. You can't say, God, look at my good life. You are literally at the end of yourself in this matter of salvation. You are literally without resources. You are literally totally dependent on God. And when you can understand that, and understand that in this matter of salvation, you're at the end of your resources, you have reached your limit. You release that salvation to God now. Again, this filters down to other areas of your life because if you can release your salvation to God, you can release to God in other areas of your life. So let me ask you this. Have you ever come to the end of yourself and the stuff going on in your life yet where you have absolutely no control? Have you come to the end of yourself when you admit, I have reached my limit, that you can release to God and go on with life? If you don't release to God, you're going to be forever frustrated. Three ingredients of release. Number one, in prayer, in your heart, you give it to God. And you commit to this. You say, you, you say Father, whatever you bring about, I accept it. If what I want to happen happens, I will rejoice. Are you with me? But if what I don't want to happen happens, I will rejoice anyway. You've totally left it to God. That's the first ingredient of release. The second thing is, when you release to God, you obey in every detail. You should do that anyway, but especially when you release to God, you obey in every detail. And thirdly, you don't take it back. And I think to myself, there comes, to, there comes points in my life where I just, I have no moves. I'm at the end of myself. And if I couldn't release it to God and accept what God would bring into, into my life, I, I would have no peace. I would be absolutely frustrated.
Let's make this so practical today. What's going on in your life right now? And you need to let go. Will you say to God, I give this to you. I will accept whatever you bring about. I will not take it back. I will not try and work it out myself. Whatever you bring into my life, I accept you. I will obey you. I will rejoice. It begins with coming to grips with the fact that you're a sinner. You can't offer God anything. You have no moves. And when you can release that to God, you can release everything else to God. But it involves coming to the end of yourself. So we've seen a bunch of things today about, about the why of Christmas. What is the why of Christmas? We see it in Isaiah, Peter, Daniel, and John. Giants of faith who saw the Lord Jesus in all his holiness. And giants of faith that they were, they hid their faces from God and said, I'm dead, I'm lost. Are you willing to admit that? We've seen this culture so consumed with self-esteem, and we need to see ourselves as God's Word sees us. And when we do that and get a hold of the beautiful truth, the why of Christmas, that Jesus Christ came into the world for our sin to save us, to get us out of this mess, then you will have real self-esteem rooted in God's love for you. We've seen how this works, out in li- works itself out in life. Uh, we can deal with insecurities. We can even go through rejection and know we're valuable and precious and dear to God. We can, we can deal with life realistically. We can release to God. I just pray that um, these words may be a blessing to you as you go into this Christmas week. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School. 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.